Thank you for everyone that has tuned into 52 Weeks of Hustle so far. We're getting closer to the one-year anniversary. I've had a lot of fun sitting down with industry leaders and certainly hope it has been beneficial. In addition, thank you for all the support you have provided on the book that was recently published, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales. It's a playbook to being elite in the sports business industry. Whether you're looking to get in this business or you already are, you're looking to continue to grow your career, I believe this book can be beneficial for you. Paperback, ebook, and audiobook are now available. Check out 52weeksofhustle.com. Thank you in advance and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business, or for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. This individual has experience in a little bit of everything, from driving revenue from professional sports teams and leagues, college athletic programs, entertainment sponsors, media companies, as well as owned and sold two agencies. Over the last two years, he has started Game One as part of a sports storytelling. I'm excited to have our next guest, Greg Economo, co-CEO of Game One. Greg, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Travis. Greg, just the intro alone shows how successful you've been in this business, and I'm certainly excited to dive in to hear about how you have taken things to the next level in every spot you've been. Let's start with Current. Two years ago, you co-founded Game One, which is a sports-oriented, elevated content that is scripted and unscripted programming. Many times in this business, it's all about telling your story. So what is your elevator pitch for Game One? You know, we, uh, you know, having spent so many years in the sports industry and been around the content game for a long time on a, on a kind of periphery, I, I started to realize that there were a ton of, uh, a, a ton of IP that was just under leveraged. And so really it was how do we bring this IP to the fore and put it on platforms that are in a national setting um, instead of regional sports or, you know, or local or social. And, uh, you know, we've been able to secure uh, about, 50, 55 content partnerships with teams, leagues, and athletes um, that ha- has brought us about 100 plus projects. And so we're working, you know, we're working to, you know, to, to be great storytellers, to tell stories that matter, and frankly, you know, all about sports and drive, um, you know, the amount of content about sports to, a, to another level. You know, and to your point, 100 plus customers, you know, in, 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 productions over two years is certainly and we'll talk about efficiency but you know game one has produced multiple features thus far you know including documentaries just to name a few Deshaun Watson Danica Patrick the Cowboys the early days of NFL football and and obviously much more thus far as you look at it if you can answer this what has been your most rewarding production and why you know there I I would say there there's not a, a particular favorite I mean I think it's um, you know, they all have uh, things about them that matter. And, you know, I think overall, you know, we have a, you know, if you look at our, our ethos, it's really kind of a, a three, a three part Venn diagram. It's, you know, how do we combine the best storytellers in the world, which are Hollywood people with the best IP in the world, which, you know, from the sports world. But the third, the third part is 
how do we, you know, create some social impact? Like, how do we tell stories that matter? And so, you know, we, we are really focused on not balls and strikes or, you know, buckets or touchdowns, but we're really focused on humanity, people, stories, inspiration, and things like that. And so we try on every project to find some of that somewhere. And, uh, you know, so far, so good. No, absolutely. So between you and the team, Greg, that you've built, there's always moving pieces from, to your point, understanding IPs to getting stories to ultimately selling packages to networks like Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, et cetera. So in a day in life of Greg right now, what does that look like? <laughs> um, you know, when you, when, as you can appreciate, when you're working for the big, you know, the big companies, you have a specific role and you play that role every day. When you go into the entrepreneurial setting, you know, it's, it's a little bit of everything. You know, there are days where I focus on uh, operational things and financial management. There are days when I'm doing, doing account management and projects. And, uh, but most days are really filled with being on a hunting expedition. Like I'm, I'm really trying to get out and find where are the great stories? Where's the great IP? How do I go put those deals together with the, with the holders of that IP, whether it's, you know, acquiring that, uh, in, in, uh, you know, with, with cash or whether it's, uh, you know, trading for it with, you know, with our expertise against their IP and trying to package things together to sell to the next level. Now, and we'll get into this in your career. You, you've owned and sold two companies, but you know, in this time around, has there been just any surprises or shocks, whether it be going through this during the pandemic or just, you know, now, hey, we're in 2019, 20, 21 that you've launched this? Yeah, no, I think the, you know, what the, the couple surprises were, it's amazing how much how many great stories are out there you know that are that you just you know I'll make a phone call to check in with a friend who works you know at a team or you know at an agency or what have you and invariably I can come off that phone call with a you know with an incredible project because once you start talking about either the 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 history the legacy the current day you know the great stars the great moments you know there are there are stories that can and need to be told so that the amount of IP has been a surprise. You know, obviously the pandemic was a curveball for everyone. So, you know, it put a, a, a real, um, you know, hamper on our ability to produce in mass. You know, we, we just can't put crews together to go out and, and finalize a lot of the productions that we have. So, you know, like everyone else, we're waiting it out. But I think the, the downtime has allowed us to build a, room, a much more robust slate, you know, because instead of, being consumed with producing things, we got consumed with developing new things. And so when when the pandemic is over, I think we're going to be much better situated than we were before, just, you know, ironically, and, um, you know, uh, in terms of the, the number and quality of projects that we'll, we'll be able to put out over the next several years. And I think that's time, and, you know, you and I caught up a couple of weeks ago, and that was something we talked about, regardless of what role you're in, if you took the time during the pandemic to continue to invest in yourself and put yourself in a position to be successful, when this gets to the turn of it, you're going to be extremely successful, and that's obviously what you guys have done is your vision with Game 1 as well. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you, you kind of play the cards that are dealt, right? And if, you know, the, the, the downside of the pandemic, obviously, in, in, outside of, you know, all the horrors of, of illness is, you know, everything, you know, everything kind of came to a screeching halt, right, uh, in, including production. The, on the upside for us, the quarantines brought us a lot of immediate access to the sports industry because it had slowed down so much. So yep. instead of the world moving at, a, you know, 150 miles an hour, it was moving at five miles an hour. So we were able to have, 
conversations that might have taken two or three weeks to get on the books were taking two or three days and sometimes two or three hours. And so our ability to reach more people at scale was was just unprecedented. So we, you know, we leaned into that, you know, and said, look, this is the cards that were dealt. Let's go. Let's go have as many conversations as we can and uncover as many stories as we can possibly, you know, uncover in the, in this amount of time that we're going to be kind of locked up. So and I think that's the mentality you've always had at the end of the day, just find a way to get it done. You know, don't come up with excuses and just get it done. And, you know, in, you, in your career, Greg, you've always been known to really be able to share a vision, but also immediately earn respect from owners, top executives from whether it be teams or other industries. What does your preparation look like as you go in to prepare for those meetings or some now your current meetings with top networks, top athletes, et cetera? You know, I think it, you know, harkens back to, I mean, I played sports my whole life and, you know, played in college, played overseas. And, you know, what you learn in that process is that, you know, preparation is the key to all success, right? You have to, you have to put the work in, you have to be more prepared than your opponent. And so when it comes to transitioning that mentality or those best practices into, into business, it's just, you know, diving in and doing the work and, you know, getting as much background information, getting as many perspectives put together as you can, um, having the, you know, putting your best foot forward. You know, I, I'm super proud of the team, how hard we work, how beautiful our presentations are, you know, how, you know, how we, we, we turn, you know, we turn over every possible stone we can. And so that, you know, in this business, that's critical because, you know, any, any any excuse to reject a story or reject a you know a a concept you know is what the 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 buyers need to be discriminating so they need to be looking so you have to you have to strive for perfection you know and you have to strive to be great and be you know and, and preparation is the key to that so um you know i learned a long time ago that that was the equation so you know we just get after it and I think that's great advice for those listeners, whether you're you're selling a ticket or where, whatever you're selling, making sure you're going in with preparation before each call, before each meeting, each appointment. If you're a leader and you're listening and you're going in to meet with the executive team or your boss or the ownership group, you got to prepare. You know, having a plan in place and what is that process that you're going to do to be elite. And, you know, Greg, one of the important items we always talk about in this business is the value of mentorship. And one of your inspirations and mentors was the late great NBA commissioner David Stern, and so going back a few years ago, prior to you launching Game One, I know you met with him. You know, when you're in New York, what advice did he give you about taking the initiative and just and just going with it? Yeah, I mean, David was a hugely uh, important and inspirational figure in my life and career. I mean, he, I worked for him. Um, I worked in and around the NBA for many years. Uh, he always took the time to, in, you know, invest in his people um, and myself included. And, you know, when, when I was contemplating doing this, you know, I, I was, um, you know, had, had a string of uh, senior executive jobs at big companies. And, you know, and this was a, a big leap to go do something entrepreneurial and start something from scratch. And so, you know, I went to see the commissioner to ask his advice, and uh, we sat in his office on Fifth Avenue, um, which was essentially a replica of his commissioner office. He did a nice job, uh, bring you know, moving up a couple of blocks. But uh, you know, we sat and talked about it, and you know, I was nervous because you know I have three kids and you know and, and all that kind of good stuff. And and he said to me at one point, he was, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to ask you a question. And I said, What's that, David? And he said, Have you ever failed at anything? And I said, you know, I mean, 
not really. And he's like, so you, do you think you'd, tr- you'd try to do this and you would fail? And I said, no, that's why I'm thinking about it. He's like, well, then I think you just answered your own question. And, you know, and I think he was, uh, I mean, to a lot of us and a lot of your listeners, he, he was an incredible uh, talk about preparation, talk about, you know, intensity and drive and, and the, you know, the, the pursuit of perfection, you know, David, you know, there, there, there's the pursuit of excellence on one hand, David was the, you know, he was a pursuer of, of perfection and, you know, he expected that not just of himself, but of everybody else. And so, you know, when someone of that magnitude and, and stature kind of instills confidence in you, it's easy to, to kind of self-reflect and go, well, if he believes in me, then I should believe in me. And so we immediately started the process of launching game one after, I, I mean, I literally flew back from New York and was like, all right, I'm, I'm doing this thing. Go time. Yeah. So, you know. Well, you've obviously had a early on success and, and certainly, you know, I know it'll be continued success. And for the listeners out there, Greg, what's your advice for them on the value of not only finding a mentor early on, but, but having that consistent mentorship? Yeah, I mean, look, I think like anything else, you know, you know, understanding how things work is critical. And, the, you know, there is a lot to be said for trial and error and, and self-examination and expression. But there's also, you know, a lot to be said for studying what people who succeeded before you have done. And I, I think my first job, I was I had been playing ball overseas and I hurt my back and I and I needed to have surgery and. I ended up getting hired to be a fundraiser at the University of Connecticut where I had played uh, in college. And I worked for two different people. D. Rowe, who was a former coach there and was one of the great fundraisers and just great human beings of all time. And D. was a, was a guy who was in charge of uh, major gift fundraising. And he was, about, he was about the storytelling and the relationships and the follow-through. I don't think D. ever owned a computer. You know, it was just... <laughs> It was the telephone, and it was lunches and dinners and golf outings and things like that. On the other hand, I worked for another gentleman, Ben Kirtland, who was, you know, about the science of fundraising. He was about how to build campaigns, how to use technology, how to, you know, how to uh, reach more people and, you know, raise small amounts of money, but a lot of those. And I, I sat there as a relatively young person getting into my career and said, there's an incredible amount of art on one hand, but there's also an, an equal amount of science on the other hand. And, and, you know, both are super successful. And I thought to myself, if I could actually combine those things in my efforts, then, um, you know, I, I think I'd be more successful than if I just chose one path or the other. And so whether they knew it or not, they mentored me like from the very first days of my, my professional career to think, and to give me, you know, examples of how to do and, you know, f- f- you know, fast forward 25, 30 years, I'm still thinking about that balance between art and science. Like, how do I get more prepared, more organized? How do I get more process oriented? How do I get incredibly e- efficient? And at the same time, you know, how do I keep relationships? How do I tell stories better? How do I, you know, create a connection? Because I've always believed, and I learned this from Dee back, you know, in my, fr- my first few days, People do business with people. Companies don't do business with companies. So yep. it's about that connection. It's about that relationship. relationship. You, know, you know, when I coached young sellers, it's like, look, you're not you're not selling this team or you're not selling, you know, this idea or this league. You're selling yourself. You're selling your dream. You're selling the dream uh, and making that connection. People buy things from people that they like. They like, so, they trust, they respect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, so. and, and Greg, you've done a, you know, you obviously have had some great mentors, and I know you've been a great mentor to a lot of people out there, so certainly appreciate that. 
you know, and this isn't, you know, with game one, this isn't certainly the first time you've been in the film world as you previously spent four years at Dick Clark Productions as the, the EVP and chief revenue officer. And at that role, you worked across multiple properties as well as with owners and producers of numerous major broadcast properties, such as American Music Awards, Golden Globes, People Magazine Awards, just to name a few. And the main goal, like anything, was to drive revenue, corporate marketing, and brand partnership. So what were some of those key learnings that you took from the experience of Dick Clark Productions that helped lead you to where you're at today? You know, what was funny is that, you know, for, for many, many years, the sports industry has figured out how to, how to you know, pull every, you know, every single asset out of a, you know, out of a, a situation, a game, an event. Um, you know, if you, you know, the ESPN guys have done it better than anybody where, you know, you're, you're focused on a particular game, but there's a lead into that game that's, you know, an hour, two hours or three hours. There's a midpoint where, you know, in the game where you have experts talking about it. There's a post game, you know, show that's analyzing what happened and they turn a, a three hour, a two or three hour event into a eight hour event and, and, and they monetize all of it. And so, when I got to the Guggenheim Media job and with Dick Clark Productions being kind of the centerpiece of it, um, I was trying to see, you know, these guys had created a bunch of very incredibly successful television shows that had huge audiences and great ratings, but that was it. And so we were trying to figure out, like, how do we extend those stories? How do we, you know, do the story about the story? How do we build a bunch of shoulder programming or companion content? And we, early in the days, we, we, we found ways to create that content short form, mid form and, and distribute it on alternative networks. So social, you know, social media uh, channels or, or digital channels. And, you know, what we found in that time was that brands wanted to express themselves in different ways beyond a 30 second spot or a, you know, a quarter page ad in a magazine. And so they were getting very exploratory in how they would do that, how they would leverage social, how they would leverage digital. And, you know, we created one of the early day branded content studios that was doing a massive amount of business with brands, um, which I've taken a lot of those learnings into what we're doing at Game One. So when we do a major production, whether it's a film or a television show, we're also doing a whole host of short and mid-form content that we're distributing in in an alternative manner. So, um, you know, that was was an eye-opener in terms of, for me, how, how how exploratory and um, you know and and hungry brands were to figure out how to conquer new new frontiers, and we just we just set an outpost up pretty early, and were able to do a lot of good business in that space. No, absolutely. And you at this point uh, of 52 weeks of hustle today, you know, many of our listeners are probably wondering how you transitioned from the sports world to that film world, which will continue to dive into your career. But first, what are some similarities you've seen when it comes to selling and the ultimate revenue generation from both perspectives, both being on the team side and, and now kind of the side you're in now? I mean, I think I, I said it a little earlier. I mean, you, you got to, you know, get, you got to be prepared, got to have your, your pitch, your story. Um, you know, to me, positioning, you know, I, I started as a branding guy, right? So for me, uh, you know, the art of positioning, uh, whether it's a brand or a part of a brand or a story, like how you go to market, what you're talking about. Um, and then it's just building relationships. You know, it's like the little things. When I remember as a kid, my mom, we would get a gift from a from my aunt or uncle or, you know, or you'd have a little birthday party and my, my mom would make me write thank you notes. 
and you know you'd sit down and it was like the most painstaking thing in the world <laughs> you know dear aunt you know and and uh but then you'd send it and the response you'd get the next time you saw that person was you know overwhelming and those are like little tidbits you take and say look building relationships is a you know it's a 360 process right it's it's you know, understanding what moves a, you know, a, a person on the other side. And ultimately it's building, you know, connectivity or friendship and then figuring out how to, you know, how to maintain that like you do in your everyday personal life. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's to me, it's about, get, you know, garnering respect and like and, you know, and paying attention to the details. You know, the devil is always in the details. And how do you, you know, how do you uh, keep up with those people? How do you, you know, have – um, you know, continuity and, you know, not just reach out to them when you need something, but, you know, reach out to them to know what's going on in their lives, et cetera. So it takes a lot of work, but, you know, but when you, when you do it successfully, it feeds on itself, you know, cause you like, I mean, I like people, I like talking to people. I like hearing what's going on. I like hearing what they're doing. Uh, I learn a lot from that process. So, you know, it, it's been uh, for me part of who I am, but it also r- results in, you know, good business. Good business. And that's, you know, I think that's great advice. And I think that's a lot of, you know, I've heard it through my career of what's different from selling basketball to baseball to hockey. And at the end of the day, the X's and O's are the same. And it really comes down to building that relationship, putting the effort in and, and finding deals. And, you know, Greg, you've always been one that I've really respected. You're, you're always willing to take risks, know, knowing that they're pretty calculated risks, but you've been very innovative as well. So what advice do you have some, for some of the listeners that may help them be more innovative in what their current role is and being willing to put themselves out there in this selling and working environment? Yeah, I used to uh, – I mean, when I used to coach – um, you know, people that work for me, my advice was always think about, think about your job as a day job and a night job. And in your day job, you know, crush what is put in front of you. What is your job description and, and work as hard as you can to, to, to dominate those things. The night job is how do you explore other things that aren't on your job description? You know, so I, and I'll give you an example. When, when Mike Toman came to work for me in Charlotte, um, he was one of the youngest VPs of ticket sales in the league. I think he was 26 or 27 years old. And he was definitely more mature than his, you know, his chronological years. And I knew Mike had special, like special talents. And, you know, and, I, and I would say to him all the time, like, look, your day job is to dominate ticketing and sell more tickets for us. Your night job is to pay attention to Mike Toman Incorporated. Like, so how do you get engaged in meetings about branding and communications and marketing and digital and, you know, and get yourself, you know, educated? Because at some point, your natural leadership and your natural intelligence and skill set and personality is going to take you to another level. How far you can go is really how how broad your your skill set is, or the you know, the tools you have in your toolbox. And you know, for a, a guy like Mike, he paid attention to that and he worked hard. And I and he would knock on my door and say, Hey, can I sit in this in this PR meeting you're having? And it was like, Of course. Like, can I sit in this branding meeting you're having? Of course. You know, as long as you continue to dominate your day job, like you you can have all the latitude you need in your night job. And so I've you to earn that additional responsibility and vision. Yeah, and the, I and I see the people that succeed, you know, are the ones that that go that extra mile, you know, and whether that's in in their own, you know, in their own, you know, four walls of their offices, or whether it's taking courses outside, or whether it's getting, you know, experiences outside. I think young people, I tell them, 
you know, go do everything you can, volunteer at events, go, you know, get internships, do whatever you can to A, put yourself in position to learn more about what's happening and B, build more relationships because the relationships are going to be things that, that carry you along the way. And, you know, and the great ones, I mean, I'm proud of the, you know, of, of the coaching tree, so to speak. I mean, I've got a lot of folks that, that came out under me and have ended up being <laughs> going past me and running teams and businesses and, you know, and uh, hopefully I don't forget about the old guy <laughs> at the end of the day. But, uh, you know, I think it's really about ex- exploration, you know, it's and, and, and curiosity. Like I think curiosity for me is a, a – a, uh, I, I would tell people all the time, like, be curious and be courageous. Like, you know, ask questions. There's no dumb questions. There's no dumb thinking. There's no – there's nothing on the slate you shouldn't – you know, you shouldn't go for it. And if you feel conviction, go do it. And, uh, you know, it's funny, I, I – I sent an idea. My my partner Basil Iwanek is one of the great, great, great film producers in Hollywood, and uh, you know he's produced dozens and dozens and dozens of hit movies, billions of dollars of box office, and we have an incredible camaraderie. And I and I uncovered a piece of IP that I thought was super interesting, and I sent it to Basil, and I I you know I sent it with conviction. You know I said this is why I think this is now. I've never you know this is like I'm a rookie movie guy, right? I don't know what I'm doing. So I, but I sent him a note with conviction and his response back was, I don't see it exactly like you see it, but since you're so, since you're so passionate about it, let's go for it. You know, and it's like, look, if I wasn't, if I was shy or not courageous or not curious, I probably wouldn't have sent that note to him. I would have said, oh, he's a big movie producer. I don't want to embarrass myself. But, you know, I, I put it out there and, you know, now will it go? I don't know. Is my, is my, are my instincts um, in the right place for this? You know, they've proven pretty you know, pretty good for me over the years, but, you know, we'll see, but at least, you know, I've given it a shot and that's to me the most important thing. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Greg Economo, co-CEO of Game One. Greg, we've already talked about your experiences with Dick Clark Productions and, and now Game One. And However, those weren't your only experiences outside of the sports world, as on two different occasions you owned and sold two other agencies in your career from an SME branding and brand thing. And so when it came to building those businesses up and then ultimately selling, what was the thought process behind those? You know, there was, I, you know, I was so young, I didn't have a thought process. You know, it was, it was more instinct. I, I started, um, I, I was working at, uh, at a college in Long Island called Stony Brook, 
Um, we were on the verge of going from Division Three to Division Two to Division One. They brought me in to kind of spearhead the revenue generation and marketing of that effort. Um, and one of the first things I realized is that we had a, a very uh, – it was a conflicted brand. We had the local high school of the same nickname and the same, essentially same logo. And, um, you know, and, and we just weren't known. We weren't received. There weren't any fans. There weren't any donors. And so we made a bold move to change the brand of the, of the athletic programs, which took a, a big process going through kind of the president of the school, the alumni association, you know, the, the teams, everyone. And we ultimately, you know, went through this process. And I met a guy along the way named Ed O'Hara who owned a little firm called SME Branding. And SME was predominantly at that point designing, you know, corporate brand stuff, you know, toothpaste and, you know, things like that. And But Ed was a sports guy. He loved sports. He wanted to be in sports. And we did this program. It was one of his first ever. It was his first ever collegiate program and one of his first ever sports programs. And we did it, and it was super successful. Like, we, you know, it was fresh. It was new. It was different. We, had, we came up with a great name. We came up with an incredible logo. And all of a sudden, everyone started paying attention. You know, the collegiate licensing called me. Pat Battle, who, you know, was a legend in our business, called me and his, with his dad, Bill, and said, we want to represent you guys from a licensing perspective. I said, like, I don't sell anything. How are you going to represent me? Like, we sell, we sell four T-shirts last year, you know. So, but people were paying attention to branding, and that struck me, like, wow, like, if I, if little Stony Brook can awaken, you know, big giants like Bill and Pat Battle and and have other ADs calling me like how I did it, what did I do? I realized that there was a there there. And I went back to Ed and, you know, he and I talked over the next uh, several years and ultimately decided to, you know, to kind of recalibrate SME as a as more of a sports centric firm. And I jumped into it. Um, you know, really on instinct. And, you know, the rest was was amazing. Like we ended up dominating in our in our space and branding space and sports and doing, you know, I, I think still to this day, half of all the brands you see in sports came out of our shop in, in New York. And, uh, you know, we just followed our instincts. And, what, what, you know, back to your first question about preparation, you know, one of the things we realized was to keep ourselves in front of the pack was we had to we had to be smarter about how we talked about our business because we were doing it in the beginning just solely on instinct you know our process was just like listen like absorb you know create some cool ideas and go back and we realized yeah. you know that wasn't going to cut it once we had a ton of competition what would separate us and so we started looking at what some of the big agencies did and how their processes worked we hired a consultant we spent literally every ounce of profit that we made that first year on a consultant who who basically put words to our instincts and, and then that it catapulted our business to another level. Um, and, and so for me, when I, when I, what I learned there and what I took to brand think was find, find the space where no, not many people are playing yet. Right. And so whether it was, you know, branding, we were really early and really good at it. And then I, brand think was more of a management consulting company because I saw, you know, the big management consulting companies like McKinsey and Bain were too expensive for sports teams. And so it was like, how do I jump into that? And even what game one is, you know, game one is like, look, there's a lot of sports productions, but they're, they're coming from all over the place. Like they're, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. There was no consolidated group that said, Hey, we are putting our flag down and everything we do, feature films, scripted TV, unscripted TV, branded content podcasts, all going to come out of here. Um, and so it's really trying to find, 
you know, the, you know, and I used the word frontier earlier in this conversation, like where, where is the, where are the planes? Like where, where, where's the, where's the unfettered, you know, uh, land that we can go occupy and figure out what to do and what to build. And so that for me, SME taught me that because I was like, wow, branding, you know, we made it work like in, you know, it worked in corporate America for many, many years, but, you know, it was never a staple of sports and now it is. And we were kind of the early pioneers doing it. So, you know. That's awesome. And Greg, what a career you've had. And, you know, we haven't even got into the, the success you've had in the sports world, but sports started at a young age. You've kind of mentioned you played college and overseas, but, you know, you, you grew up in Peekskill, New York. You go on to play, you know, baseball and basketball at UConn, study history and communications. And then after school, you end up going to, to Athens, Greece and, and playing overseas. You know, so between experience as a D1 athlete as well as the experience playing professionally overseas, how did that help you? You kind of mature as an adult and really start identifying what's going to be long term for you. I mean, I think you know, with you know, being a college athlete, uh, specifically back then, because there were no NCAA rules that prohibited the amount of hours that you spent. So I played for a guy named Jim Calhoun, Hall of Famer, uh, you know, one of the great coaches of all time, and you know, that process taught me about time management. Honestly, like it was just about look, you have so many hours in a day and you have a lot to get through. And whether it was individual workouts in the morning, whether it was getting through all your classes, getting to the, you know, pre-practice, as Coach called it, which was really practice and then, you know, practice. And then, then practice. You know, then study hall. And then, you know, you couldn't, you know, two-hour study hall, you'd have probably another hour or two worth of work. And so um, I remember my first, my first meeting with the baseball coach, Andy Baylock. Um, he, he had a bunch of us in the room and he put three words on the board, academics, athletics, social. And he's like, this is college. Pick two out of three. Right. Yeah. So, you know, he's, and he's, and he went through the, the, the dialogue was, you know, if you, if you don't want to play on the team, great. You can be a good student. You can have a fun time at college. If you, you know, if you cross out academics, you're going to flunk out after your right. year. So you're not going to be here. Make a decision. And that, you know, that, that taught me, um, you know, a lot about time management, about effort, energy, you know, th- things that you have to put in. It was, it, it was grueling, but, but joyful, right? I mean, you, I mean, it's playing sports. So it was, it was awesome. What, what playing overseas taught me was different. I mean, um, you know, I got to travel at a very young age to 20, 22, 23 countries. Um, and I was over there in 1988 before in 89, 90, before the wall came down, the communist, you know, communism fell. Um, so I traveled to, you know, you know, Poland and Russia and our Soviet Union then and, uh, you know, and, and Yugoslavia and places like that. And so what what the what the playing overseas taught me was less about sports and it was less about like work ethic. And it just taught me context like that. Hey, we're really blessed in America. Like we have a lot of advantages. There are a lot of freedoms here. There's a lot, to, you know, that we can accomplish um, so just be, be grateful, um, seize the day, you know, seize the moment. Cause you can, there are places where, where you can try to seize the day, but you just can't. And so, happen. um, you know, so for me, it was, it was really life altering to be able to be relatively young and travel to places and see, I mean, I remember going to the Soviet union to play a game. We, we actually flew down to Tbilisi, Georgia, and we get to this arena and there's probably eight, 9,000 people in the arena. And, 
I swear I've never seen more depressed people, like just depressed, like just depressed. The game started, their team, you know, scored a couple buckets. No one clapped. They scored another, but they went on a 10 point run. No one clapped. It was like they were at a movie theater, just oh, you yeah. know, watching the entertainment. And, you know, the, I walked out of that game, uh, which um, I don't even remember if we won or lost and, and thought to myself, man, like, I'm so thankful I live in a place where I can run down to a Yankee game and, you know, and yeah. stand and cheer and hug the Wall Street guy on one side or a homeless guy on the other. And it doesn't matter because we're, you know, we're, we have this incredible opportunity here. So, you know, for me, it was really more about that. And I'm blessed that I was able to, uh, you know, experience that at a relatively young age. Yeah, what an awesome experience. And, you know, post your playing career, you'd mentioned you, you went back, worked at UConn, then to Stony Brook University, then into the brand and marketing space. And then, you know, then you ultimately got into professional sports. You, you took a job at the NBA league office with, with your, your mentor, Commissioner Stern, and then on to the Charlotte Bobcats and Hornets as the executive vice president and chief marketing officer. And then on to Madison Square Garden as the executive vice president of revenue performance. So three huge brands, three huge roles. How did those roles help continue to build you into the person you are today and the success you're currently having? Well, it's funny. I mean, I had been an entrepreneur for like 12 years. I owned these two businesses. And uh, David actually called me. Um, it was funny. I was, I was actually in Pittsburgh. I was consulting the Pirates on a big project. And I was coming out of a meeting and my phone rang. And, I, you know, I had a bunch of friends that worked at the NBA. So I, I knew the exchange, 212, you know, whatever it was, 467 or whatever it was. And uh, I, I saw the number come in, and, and the number said 8,300, which I wasn't familiar with. But I thought, hey, maybe it's Scott O'Neill or Mark Tatum or one of these guys that I've grown up in the business with. So I pick it up, and it was Linda Tosi who said, you know, I'm David Stern's uh, executive assistant, and the commissioner would like to speak to you. And my first thought was, this is, this is a prank, right? Like, who, <laughs> right. is this my mom? Is this my yeah. aunt? Who's doing this? And then my second thought was pure dread. You know, it was like, oh, my God, I screwed something up. with What happened? Clients and David's going to, like, you know, basically excommunicate me. Um, and he got on the phone and he said, look, I, I've been hearing a lot about the things you're doing for, for, you know, for teams in terms of marketing and positioning and branding and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we are searching for a senior role at the NBA to kind of spearhead all marketing and and it was a little surreal because, you know, I'd been, you know, an entrepreneur, I, you know, I went to work, obviously I took the job. Uh, it was a different experience for me having been my own boss for 12, 13 years to now, you know, working for a really tough taskmaster. Uh, thank God for Adam Silver too, because Adam has been a great mentor himself and a, and a really terrific friend. Um, you know, but it, it you know, it, what it, it taught me, about thing you know things like scale and and globality like david was thinking about like every detail from you know how the trash cans were organized to you know how we were going to dominate china or india and you know and, and being able to think about the the reach and scope that you could have and the responsibility that came with that right was was really interesting and you know and then going to charlotte that was a you know for me that was a lesson in humility and 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 frankly work ethic to the to the nth degree because we inherited a you know a really um a really distressed business you know we were last in the league in just about every category we were not accepted by the fan base there um and we had to work exceptionally hard uh to to drive success there and we turned just about every metric totally around and but it was a it was like literally like a grind but it was a joy. It was a joyful grind because we could see 
the the results we were having. You know, MSG for me was like an incredible coming home party. I grew up in New York. I grew up, you know, wild Knicks and Ranger fan. Like, I mean, every night my dad and I would sit and watch you know, the next round of the Rangers run. Um, you know, I, I'd been in that building, you know, hundreds of times. I had played in that building. You know, when we would play St. John's or the Big East Tournament, we played in the building. Not very well, but, you know. <laughs> Got, got a chance to, you know, step foot on the floor as a competitor, which is like nothing else. Um, and so going home there, but that, you know, that was similar to the NBA and kind of the, the impact, the reach, the, you know, the, what, what the garden means, you know, not just to, you know, to, to New Yorkers, which it means a lot. And, right. but it, uh, you know, but what it means to the, to the sports world and to the, you know, to the entertainment world, that it is the Mecca. It is, you know, it is the world's most famous. And if you can make it there, you make it anywhere. And so, it was, uh, you know, it was uh, a lot. You got to work, as you know, in baseball, you're, you know, you're literally there every night, you know, grinding, you work all day, and then you go to games at night, and everybody, you know, everybody says, wow, what a great job. And it's like, no, you're, you're actually working it. Like, you're right. all, you're very yeah. rare. You don't get to watch much of the games. Not watching much of the game. And when you do that, you know, Knicks, Rangers, college game, concert, you know, it, it gets overwhelming at times. But it was, I mean, I, I, I cherish every minute of that job just because it was, you know, it was such, it was such a grand scale and it was, you know, my teams and I got a chance to, you know, steward in my little corner of the world, my, you know, my franchises that I love dearly, still love, you know, so, uh, you know, that, those were, but different, different than running the little shop and, you know, in, in Chelsea in New York and you got, you know, 20 people, and you're grinding now. You're working for the behemoth with you know thousands of employees. Different different vibe, but but loved it. No, awesome and great experience. And you know, prior to game one, you then went on to Ticketmaster as the chief commercial officer and head of sports. And this role really gave you the opportunity, insight into all the different sports, but specifically, you know, I guess for this podcast, insight into some of the best talent in the sports world. And so, as you look at some of that best talent that you're just you continue to engage with throughout your entire career, what are some key characteristics that just always stand out for the industry leaders? You know, I think and I try to do this wherever I've been, I think it's, you know, the people that maintain a set of values and, you know, first of all, identify a set of values and maintain those values and stick to them. And I I think one of the people that I admire as much as anyone in sports is Scott O'Neill, you know, because, because, you know, working with Scott and being around him and, you know, and working in partnership with him in many different, in many different ways over the years, including being a teammate, including being kind of the partner in, in, in some ways, you know, Scott was a guy who he always, he had a set of values, like three or four things that he, that he stood for, you know, and he could defend and he could celebrate and he could, you know, drive into the organization. And he stuck to those things like, you know, and, and it became, you know, his personal values became kind of the ethos of the businesses that he was managing, which, you know, which everyone knew what direction the, the train was going in. And I think, you know, for young people and even for leaders, it's like, what, what do you stand for? Like, what are the, what are those qualities that you need to live up to that you promise in yourself and you promise to others that, Hey, and mine have always been things like passion, integrity, teamwork, hard work. Like those are things I can guarantee. Like I'm going to love every day. I'm going to work, you know, I'm going to work my butt off, you know, as hard as anybody, you know, I'm going to do it the right way. And I'm, but I'm going to be a good team player. Like I know what that's about. I played sports. I, you know, I've been on big teams. Like how, how do we actually work together to achieve success? And so, you know, but if those things are broadcast about you, you know, by you and about you, um, and people get a chance to understand those things, it just, 
it makes everything else easier. It makes every, you know, because you have a, you know, kind of a baseline or a, a roadmap of, you know, what, what you expect. And it, you also have a, a barometer, right? So if there's a shortcut somebody wants to take and you're, you're tell people that you're about integrity, you don't take the shortcut. Right, there's no shortcuts. You know, if you think about cutting out early because, you know, in or cutting a corner on, you know, it's like, hey, if my if my va- core value is hard work, I got to I got to grind. I got to get this done. So, you know, for me, it's it's it goes back to values and positioning. Like, how do you how do you want to be perceived by people? Yep. No, you know, absolutely. So, Greg, this has been great. You know, a ton of great advice. You've obviously been a big mentor. You're on additional advisory boards. And, you know, fun to hear about your journey in both the sports and branding world. To close it out, I'd like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Oh, boy. Okay. All right. If a documentary, and maybe it's done by game one, comes out about your life, what actor do you want to be playing you? Oh, God. <laughs> um. Well, I, I I'm gonna root for uh, for as a, my, I'll let my ego get the best of me. Like I want George Clooney to play me. There you go, love so, it. Yeah. Gray hair, so, gray haired guy that can succeed like like he does. And all right, yeah, that's yeah good he's team. doing all right. So now there's a, a game of three on three basketball versus the world's best. It's you and two teammates. Who are the two teammates you're picking? Uh, it's hard to to do this because I have three sons that are basketball players, but I'm going to take my oldest son and my middle son. Okay. And my my uh, youngest son's going to have to just be the water boy. He's uh, got to come uh, off the bench maybe if somebody's uh, injured. But uh, I think, you know, look, as a dad of kids, you know, who, who do, you know, do anything extracurricularly, right, whether it's sports or music or what have you, you know, the joy of seeing them succeed, there's nothing like it. So, like, bring on Michael Jordan, Kobe, and Shaq. Like, we got them. Like, we're ready to go. We might lose 21 to 1, but, like, you know, hey. we'll, have, we'll have a blast. And, you know, set, setting a pick from one of my kids would be, like, a dream come true. Yeah, and the bonding. That's, that's my team. That's awesome. Great. If you had to eat one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh well, to all you uh, fans of Greek food out there, there's a dish called pastizio. So that's uh, that's my absolute favorite food. I, I, I would eat it every day, honestly, if I could get my hands on it. So I'll say pastizio. And I'm sure that was really good over in Athens. Oh, my God. We've yeah. got the Americanized Greek food over here, I'm sure. But Well, thank God I was playing a professional sport and had to work out every day because I <laughs> – would have come back and not so you could great. look a lot different. Yeah. But Greg, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you would give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Um, I think I've mentioned some of these things. I think it's values, right? Like what are your values? How do you stick to those things? Um, I think the second thing is this idea of curiosity meets courage. You know, it's, it's um, – never stop. I mean, I've moved to different roles, like you mentioned, but all of it out of curiosity. Like I was always looking for what was next. Like where are the, where do the opportunities live? Like what, what's cool, what's different, what's not being tapped right now. And so, and then the courage to go do it. You know, I had a kid work for me once who, uh, he was one of the brightest kids that ever worked for me and, but he would never speak in meetings. He was a super shy kid, super shy. And after the meeting, he would come to my office and he would say, you know, he would tell me the answers. Like he would tell me all the answers. I'm like, dude, why didn't you say anything in the meeting? Like you are like the smartest guy on the team. And he's like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want it. Like I didn't want to sound stupid if it wasn't right and blah blah blah. And I was like, it's crazy. Well, he went on to become a DEA agent. He left the agency world and he, and wow. he applied to be a DEA agent. And so now his courage took him in a different direction. His courage was I can run into a drug den and you know with a gun and you know take people down. Different kind of courage than a little speak. bit different. Yeah. 
but you know, to me, it's like, how do you find that, you know, that 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 place where you can exhibit your courage? And then I think thirdly, it's just you you say it, you know, hustle, grind, uh, effort, energy. There, there's this business, especially in this business, I tell people all the time, there's you know, there's so few opportunities for so many people that want them, right? Because it's actually a really small business. You know, right. it's perceived as being large. So the the people that win you know, yes, talent, yes, experience, yes, yes, yes. But it's really like who who you look at and they're going to go to the mat and they're going to work harder than the net. And that's to me, you know, whether it's sports, whether it's banking, finance, law, like if you, if you put in the time, like you'll create the success that you want. And so for me, I would leave on that note is just, you know, out, outwork, you know, and it's, it goes back to being an athlete. You know, I remember, you know, shooting baskets in at the playground or in my in my driveway, and ready to go home and thinking, somebody else is shooting baskets right now. I got to keep shooting. You yeah, know, keep going. Like, keep going because I got to I got to have an edge. And you know, it's the same thing. Uh, you know, in in this realm. So those are no, that's a, awesome. Point. Couldn't agree more. You know, to to your point, having values, sticking to them. I love you're you're saying on curiosity meets courage, and and you take a time to do it. And then at the end of the day, you know, hustle and effort. It's going to get you to where you want to be ultimately. And so, Greg, thank you so much. You've had such a great career. Always a pleasure talking to you, and I certainly appreciate your time and expertise. Yeah, my pleasure, dude. Good seeing you again. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. 